To get ready for Jesus' birthday celebration on the 25th with our study leader, Dave Wordson, let's take a journey to Christmas. And in this case, we have to start before the beginning. One of the most important questions that you can ask yourself is, is there a voice from beyond? Is there a revealer from beyond? In fact, if you're a sci-fi person, almost all of sci-fi has to do with there's intelligences out there that are far superior than ours. And there are voices that we can hear that will give us the answer. Everything from Steven Spielberg with E.T. and this weird little creature that arrived and he's found in the closet. It's all about extraterrestrial. Is there life from beyond? How many of you have heard of the quest, is there intelligent life on other planets? And now the big issue is, well, now we know there's millions upon millions of galaxies. So obviously there must be an Earth like ours and there must be intelligent life that's out there. And we're looking for answer. I remember when they were building the cyclotron here right out south of the church and they were digging this big 50-mile underground tunnel and they were going to accelerate nuclear particles and try to get back to the Big Bang. And I shared this with you. I met with the head engineer, really the head scientist of the whole project, not the engineer, he's another friend, but the head scientist that was in charge of all the other scientists, nuclear physicists from all over the world. And we ate lunch together and I said, hey, just tell me what you believe about where the answers are. And he said, well, Dave, I really believe that it's kind of like in some of the sci-fi fiction that I've read, but I think there's truth in it that there's another, there's whole intersecting existences. We know that there's enough space that you can have a whole other world that just moves right through our world. And I believe that but what happened was is that this other mode of existence puts sperm into maybe a place like Egypt. And that started this whole process of evolution, and that's what got us going. Because it just couldn't be chance. I really do believe that there's a purpose and there's an order and there's a, there's a plan. You know, I'm a computer expert and there's a, a program that's out there. So there, there's this extraterrestrial programmer. That was his belief. I said, you mean to tell me, like, your whole belief is the idea that there's got to be this ultimate science fiction kind of a character that comes in there. But, you know, he was on to something. He was on to something because he was showing me that in his soul, he hungered for a voice from beyond. How many of you have ever talked to people that says, if only we could have someone that talked to us from out there somewhere? We all wonder about that, okay? Do you realize in the mall, even on Black Friday at 12 o'clock, you probably heard the answer? And over the next few weeks, I want you to be listening and I want you to be using the opportunities, but I want you to also think about what you're hearing in the background. Now, the stores are all using it like Muzak. It's just background music to get you happy and to get you so that you'll pull out that pocketbook and buy a whole bunch of stuff. But what I want you to know is that it's very possible that you're hearing the answer. Is there a word from beyond? Is there a revealer? Is there the ultimate one that can make known to us light and life and meaning? How many of you have ever heard these words? Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting. Finish it. Have you ever heard that? Okay, that's the second verse too. Now stop and think about it. You're going to hear that in, in stores all over the place. Now think about what Mendelssohn is telling you in that song. 
Christ, the Messiah, by highest heaven adored. Who should be adored in heaven? Who lives in heaven? Who lives in heaven? Okay. Who should be adored in heaven? So when you say the Messiah by highest heaven adored, what are you saying about the Messiah? That he is God. That's what that Christmas carol is telling you. It's crying forth all over that store that the Messiah, whoever he is, is adored and worshipped in heaven. And that's what we just sang, you know, oh, Lord, my God. When you sang how great thou art, you joined all these thousands and millions upon millions of angels that did exactly that same thing. The second phrase, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ, the Messiah, all Christ means is the anointed one, the promised one from the Jewish Tanakh, the Jewish scriptures, the anointed one, Christ, the everlasting Lord. Who is everlasting? Only God is everlasting. Angels aren't everlasting. Angels are created beings. So angels aren't everlasting. What does the word Lord mean? Now, we use the word Lord, you know, to be sir. Like in the ancient world, if I went in before a Roman official, I would say Lord. But if you're from a Jewish background, the word in, that's translated in English, Lord, is the special name for the great I am that appeared to Moses at Mount Sinai. It's an incredible, powerful statement. When it says that the Messiah is the everlasting, it's not just Sir, the everlasting master, the everlasting sovereign one. It's actually saying the Messiah, the everlasting Yahweh, the everlasting I am. That's an incredible statement. And and those of you that are younger, what I'm going to say in the next few minutes is really important because you live in a culture that says all the religious teachers are the same and, and everybody has their different way. And I want you to realize from the bottom of my heart, that just isn't true. It is not true. All the world, billions of people are going to stop and celebrate Jesus Christ's birthday. And over the next few weeks, I want you to know who he is. When you go to a birthday party, one of the really important things is to really figure out who the birthday person is. And we're going to begin like every story that I tell you about. Like if I'm going to teach you the life of Buddha, I need to tell you he was born in all close to Nepal and northern India. And there's incredible stories about his birth and how he was born out of the ear of his mom. I could tell you stories like that. But nobody ever says that Buddha lived before he was born. Confucius was a great Chinese educator. You can read his writings. They're still good. If you're a school teacher especially, read Confucius. You'll learn a lot about education. He was the first public school teacher that devoted his whole life to educating all of the Chinese that he could. But he never claimed what I'm going to tell you. Jesus Christ doesn't line up with all the other great religious teachers. Because when I tell you the story of this Bethlehem baby, I can't just say he was born in 4 or 5 B.C. of the Virgin. I have to go back before the beginning. We begin this journey to Christmas. We're going to begin before the beginning. You say, David, what are you talking about? The beginning is creation. 
But when I tell you the story of who was born at Bethlehem, coming out of the body of the Virgin Mary, I've got to tell you that he is the everlasting Lord. He is the Word. Turn to John chapter 1, because the next few weeks together, we're going to be looking at an ancient hymn that the great apostle John, who was the beloved disciple, took, and he used it to introduce one of the most powerful revelations in the Gospel of John of who Jesus is. Whatever background you're from, I want you to know that what I'm going to teach you in the next few times we're together, this is a first century document. It is one of the last Gospels. But it's written in the first century within the lifetime of people that actually witnessed the earthly Jesus. So you can begin there if you're not sure that you can take this as the God-breathed word. Most of you will. But you can begin just historically. This is a document. And there's manuscript after manuscript that has this poem in it. And the poem I'm now going to teach you goes back long before John the Apostle because he actually heard it. Like, you just sang How Great Thou Art. That's one of the most beloved hymns in English. And I believe Russians love it too. I'm going to introduce you to one of the loved praise worship songs that they sang in the early church. I don't know what the melody was because we would only sing that melody and God hates to hear the same melody year in and year out. So God's given us the words... And these words are incredible. Look what it says. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Then you come to the very end of this poem. If you look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God. You all understand that. The ultimate being in the universe dwells in unapproachable light, and he is invisible, so no one's ever seen him. And yet, but God, now listen to this, but God, the one and only, the unique one and only God, who is at the Father's side. So whoever this one and only God is, there's the Father, and then there's someone that's right beside his father, in communion with him, in relationship with him. And then it says something very important. He answers our question. This one has made himself, has made God known to us. He's answered that question. Is there a voice from beyond? And what I'm telling you this morning, the reason that Jesus is so important, the reason we need to celebrate his birth, is because he existed before creation. And what the Apostle John is telling us, he's beginning with an early hymn that says the word, in the beginning, and you would expect, if I began the phrase with the Jewish audience, in the beginning, what's the next statement? God. Every Jewish audience, if you begin, in the beginning, all of you know, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was empty and formless, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Jews knew that verse better than you do. So when John said in the beginning on the tip of their tongue was God created the heaven and the earth. But John puts in in the beginning was what? The word. Now, why did he use that? Boy, John was an incredible communicator. Because all the Jews in his audience, they knew the idea that God, Yahweh's word, 
was powerful. It created things out of nothing. They knew Genesis chapter 1 about the creation that God said, his word said, let there be light, and it brought things into existence. So they knew the power of his word. The Jewish scholars in the first century, the rabbis all got together too. They actually held there were seven things that were before the creation, that were present in heaven before the creation. One of them was the Torah. The idea that the revelation that was given to Moses at Mount Sinai was eternal. That it was the word of God. It was the principles of God. It set up the order of the way that the world should be. That the creator actually gave a blueprint of life and and how culture should work and how people should live together. And a statement like, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor yourself was eternal. It was part of the, the mind and the thrust and the will and the revelation of God in his heart. Jews all believed that. And so the idea of the logos, which is the Greek word you've all heard, logos means the word. And Jews would think of what I was just saying, but John also wanted to reach Gentiles like us. In the Greek world, the idea of logos, very powerfully in the first century, they believed that there was an order, that there was a plan. To bring it up into the 21st century, how many of you are computer programmers, or at least how many of you can do that? Live you can, okay? The idea of the Logos in Roman Greek thought was that there was a plan behind the universe. There was a program. That it wasn't just random. It wasn't just by chance. But all of the Greek philosophers and the Roman teachers, there were strong elements that said the Logos is that eternal intelligence, that internal pattern, the order that is behind the way that things work. Interesting enough, if you're a biologist today, I want to relate it right to today. A lot of biologists will say, no, everything is random. And evolution just happens randomly. And if I talk to an evolutionist, they'll say there isn't any order. There isn't any plan. And we know that that's true because that's the way it is. And I say, but wait a minute, that just can't be. Because the physicists tell me that if after the Big Bang, even those first minuscule seconds, that all of the five equations behind reality, if the K constant isn't exactly right, it doesn't happen. And the chances of that working out randomly just ain't going to happen. So my physicist friends are saying, there must be some ultimate physicists. There must be some ultimate mind out there. Yeah, maybe it all happened by the process of evolution, but man, I think there's got to be some ultimate programmer. Then I talked to Francis Collins, who's the guy that did the human genome, and I say, Francis, when you did the human genome, what do you think? What are your conclusions from it? He says, you know, Dave, when I mapped all those 48 chromosomes in the human body, and I saw the incredible, the intricacy And what I did is map out those amino acid sequences. You know what I found out? I found out that every single cell in the human body, in the whole animal kingdom, in the plant kingdom, but especially the human body, which isn't too much different from a chimp as far as the genetic code is concerned. But one thing I found out, it's a language code. That in in this DNA, in that infinitesimally small part of reality, at the heart of the cell, There's a computer program that's incredible. It's a language. It's better than Apple. 
Are you understanding what I'm saying? This is really true. And what they're saying is there's a word. This is really important. Like when I was a kid, the big thing was you couldn't have chimps all typing. They're not going to produce Shakespeare. And so that's why we'd argue against there's got to be an ultimate intelligent designer. As we move towards this Christmas, the argument is even stronger. We know behind the reality of all life, there is an incredible programmer. There is an incredible sequence. It is a language even more intricate than the computer languages that make your iPhone go. As we worship Jesus today, the Apostle John is saying to the Greeks, it's not just some impersonal design plan. It's not just even an ethereal idea in the mind of the great I am. What John's going to do is say an incredible thing. He's going to end this poem. He's going to say, in the beginning was the Logos. But he's going to say that the Logos, the revealer, actually came to live with us. He became one of us. And what John does is something that none of the Jews in the first century did. The Romans and Greek philosophers didn't do. What he said is that the eternal revealer, the ultimate mind, the ultimate design plan, the ultimate one that's behind life and light, that can turn on the light for us so that we can know what's really true. He's saying you don't have to look very far. Because the ultimate intelligence of the universe came right here. That's why we want to celebrate Christmas. You see, what John is saying here is that the Logos, this ultimate word of God, and this ultimate design plan and order and rational thought in Greek and Roman thinking was actually a person. You say, Dave, how do you know that? Look what it says. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. When it said that the, that the word was with God, it actually is saying this, that the word in eternity past, before there was creation, forever and ever and ever, it's saying that this Logos was face-to-face with God. And the idea of being face-to-face means they were in relationship. And you don't have relationships with your ideas. You have relationship with people, with a person. This is an incredible reality. John just revealed something incredible. He's saying, before the beginning of time, forever and ever, that in the unity of the ultimate being of the universe, there was a father, but there was also the Logos, his son. And they were forever and ever face to face with each other. They were close to each other. They thought together. They believed together. They planned together. They loved one another. John's going to use that as the whole reason why we should love each other. Because when we are born of God, we start to enter into that kind of love. Isn't that incredible? Are you feeling the wonder? Nobody else that I could ever talk to you about had this story like that. Before creation in eternity past, the revealer, the one who makes known truth, the one that makes known to us what's out there, was face to face with his father. Then it says an incredible thing. And he was, in the beginning was the word, and the word was face to face with his father. And the word was divine. He was God. Two incredible statements. 
And that's why what I read to you at the end of this poem, when John closes, no one has ever seen God. So none of us will ever see God the Father with physical eyes. And when we eternity, what does it mean to see someone? But I want you to know that your loved ones that are home with Jesus, like Art Van Camp and my father-in-law, my father-in-law and my mother-in-law and my own mom and dad, and a lot of your loved ones, some of you have lost loved ones just recently, they are actually seeing God, the Logos. They are face-to-face with the Revealer. Because the second person of the Trinity is the one who makes visible the invisible. He's the one that makes known the unknowable. He's the one that gives us the answer. Isn't that incredible? And that's why John can call him the one and only God. But he's distinct from his father. He's at his father's side. And he makes his father known. Some of you say, well, Dave, that's all really well and good. But what about the rest of the Gospel of John? Just to whet your appetite a little bit, John just sets you up. In a good introduction, you just give little seeds and then you explode it. So as you get ready for Christmas, what I would challenge you to do is read through the rest of John's good news. And I'll just whet your appetite a little bit. In John chapter 6, verse 62, Jesus is talking in a really tough passage. He says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have none of me. And everyone leaves him except a few disciples. Jesus says, are you going to leave me? And that's the time when Peter says, where can we go? But you might have missed it. In verse 62, Jesus says, I am going to go back where I was before. What does he mean by that? What Jesus is saying is, how many of you remember before you were born? Anybody here remember before you were born? Any Shirley MacLaine's here? I didn't remember zip before I was born. In fact, I didn't remember until I was two years old and a girl pushed me off a bike and broke my leg. And I remember my dad carrying me on his shoulders with a cast. My first memory. Isn't that great? Before that, I don't know. How about you? Some of you can't remember back before you were five. You hear what it's saying in this passage? Jesus is saying, I'm going to go back. I was before. Where I was before. In John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus having a really tough debate with the Jews that were the officials in Jerusalem. And they say, you can't call Abraham your father. We have Abraham as our father. And Jesus saying, no, you don't. Because if you listen to Abraham, if you listen to Moses, you would listen to me. And then he makes an incredible statement. He says, before Abraham was, you know what he said? He said, I am in Jerusalem. And the crowd picked up stones and tried to kill him. And he said he slipped out because it wasn't the time. You say, Dave, what's going on there? Every one of the Jews got the picture. Listen. Jesus, this Galilean prophet in Jerusalem, is actually claiming he existed before Abraham. That's one of the things he's saying. He is nuts, or he's a really bad deceiver. Or, man, we got a great birthday to celebrate. What have you decided? And when Jesus not only said, before Abraham was, I was existing, what he said, before Abraham was, I am. I'm Yahweh in the flesh. Incredible.
incredible statement. And that's why at the end of the gospel, the apostle Thomas, the big doubter, says, I'm not going to believe unless I put my finger in those nail scars. I'm going to take my finger and put them right inside there. Man, I'm going to pull up his tunic and I'm going to thrust my hand right inside. And there's not scars there. I'm going to be just like CSI. If he's alive, I'm going to do an alive examination of his body. That's what he's saying. All of you are familiar with that. When Jesus appears a week later, after he rose again from the dead, he says, Thomas, come here. Thomas gets flat in his face. He doesn't have to touch anything. He just says, oh, my Lord, my Yahweh, and my God. What made a Jew say that? If you don't believe in Jesus, I want you to understand this. Most of you won't get it. But if you don't believe what I've told you about Jesus, you've got to explain how in the world a bunch of monotheistic Jews, that their creedal statement is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. How in the world did they ever give their lives? Because a man said, their precious teacher that was a great prophet, he was a great rabbi, he was a great healer. But that's not what the first century said about him. Those disciples said, in the beginning, was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you that your eternal Son, who is co-equal with you, very God of very God, light from light, the source of light, born eternally but not created, Thank you, Lord, that we can state those incredible, creedal statements of truth from 325 where our brothers and sisters came to really understand. And they really expressed who Jesus really was. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would take this discussion of John chapter 1 and help my brothers and sisters to be ignited with why we're going to celebrate this incredible birthday. As we journey towards Christmas, Lord, I pray that we would truly understand who that baby in the manger is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.